Welcome to the Deconstructing Data Podcast. I'm Jesse Lezak, CMO at BDEX, along with co-host David Finkelstein, BDEX's co-founder and CEO. Let's get you up here. How's it going, David? Yeah, it's going well. I'm back in Sanibel, so uh, that's a uh, you know that's always a good thing. That is a good thing. Glad to hear it. And um, today's guest is Chris Rogers, founder and CEO of Colorado SEO Pros. Bring him in here. Thanks for joining us today, Chris. Hey guys, how are you? Not too bad. Good. And you're on Pacific time, right? Because you're sitting outside and it's nice and warm. Who me? Yes, you. <laughs> We're mountain time, and mountain actually, time. it's pretty. Right. It's pretty cold here. We've been getting some snow, but uh, hopefully, have a warm up on the way. I always forget about mountain time. There's that like sneaky one right there in the middle. Mm -hmm. um, so <laughs> Colorado SEO Pros serves regional, um, national, and enterprise organizations delivering a superior SEO experience supported by the most advanced SEO technology, a deep bench of SEO talent, and a business-first approach that puts client revenue and campaign ROI at the first priority so thank you so much for joining us here and talking about all this stuff. I know all those things are especially important to our audience as well. Um, but yeah, we really appreciate that. Awesome. Good to be here. Yeah, it's great. Um, thanks for joining us, Chris. Uh, so help us kick this off and tell us your story. Um, what led you to create Colorado SEO Pros? And let's talk a little bit about uh, what problems you guys are solving. Cool. Um, yeah, so I, um, when I got out of college, I ended up working, uh, I graduated from UIC uh, with my undergrad actually in psychology and went and worked for um, a larger uh, corporation uh, in uh, marketing and sales and advertising company. Uh, they did a mixture of print and digital, but right about the time that I joined, they rolled out a kind of a PPC and SEO product. And I really gravitated towards it um, specifically because of the data. Um, and the transparency that we had because the print products that they had, there was a lot of ambiguity. So you, you really didn't know what was working and what wasn't. Um, so I really, I ended up being a leader at, at my, at my company and in Chicago with, with getting these programs set up and then ultimately optimizing them for, for SEO. Um, so really the marketing side of that business and, and digital, um, I ended up leaving after about four years, I had a, I had a startup in the, uh, that was a, it was a social media and travel site for the ski and snowboard industry. That's when I moved to Colorado. And when I left, I actually ended up um, starting out with a, with an agency in Chicago um, as a senior SEO analyst, like executing SEO. Um, after doing that a few years, I ended up just seeing, I think probably like a lot of uh, startups, um, I just saw the way they were doing things and thought, one, we could do it better in terms of SEO. It seems like there was a lot of opportunity corners being skipped. It seemed like um, certainly I could make more money and I could charge customers a lot less. So um, started uh, Colorado SEO Pros technically in, in 2012. Um, we were just talking about the name Colorado SEO Pros. Today, that's where we're based, but we really serve clients nationally and internationally. So originally, we were really going to go after you know uh, businesses in Colorado and Within that first year of doing our own marketing and doing our own SEO, we started getting attention from, um, you know, international companies and national. And so, um, you know, really, that's that's uh, that's been the focus. We just uh, we just had our 10 year uh, anniversary as a company and, uh, you know, uh, not boring, uh, still challenging, 
but um, it's uh, it's been a good experience. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a good milestone. Ten years. Congratulations. Um, yeah, and and challenging. Yeah, I, I imagine so, because the SEO sort of uh, in general is like an ever changing monster. Right. I mean, you always have to keep up with with uh, the changes and, and how search engines uh, optimize their their listings and things like that to, uh, you know, w which I guess is something that always keeps you guys on your toes. Right. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, there's a lot of things that have improved um, significantly uh, over that time. So a lot of the technology that Google has invested in, a lot of the AI has made it so that we see better search results. They're evaluating higher quality content that actually connects um, with users and with real people instead of, you know, I'm sure we, we can go back and remember all the keyword stuffing that was happening, all the awkward content that was um, kind of just like low quality junk that was appearing at the top of search engines. So, you know, that stuff's been great. Uh, at the same time, you know, Google is trying to get um, as many people into their paid ecosystem as possible, right? That's that's their goal. They want to, certainly with SEO, they want to feed all that traffic into their paid ecosystem. Um, you know, when you look at the paid side, they they would like to take over all, uh, all those tools and uh, all that stuff as well. Yeah. So it's a, uh, as you guys know, it's, it's a, um, you know, it's a give and take, um, you know, kind of relationship. They help sometimes, but in some ways, Google and search engines can be an adversary too. Oh, do, do you reminisce sometimes about how you used to be able to just stick a whole bunch of keywords at the bottom of the page in, in a white font? And <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I guess it was a lot easier, um, but it also felt a lot spammier, right? Like, yeah. I feel like we're on the, on the better side of it now where, you know, truly, you know, and, and, and not everyone is doing it. There's still a lot of, you know, young, younger, less experienced people that are still doing SEO, like just with a tool. They aren't thinking about people. They aren't thinking about the audience and they're, and they're probably out there still putting out content that's more made for search bots than, uh, uh, than people. Uh, but by and large, I, I think there's a big shift where now there's a lot more focus on, okay, who is this content for? Who does it serve? What's the purpose? You know, what stage of the buyer's journey are they in? Like, why are you creating this? Because it's not just so a search bot puts it at the top. You know, if we're focused on actually helping our clients and helping their businesses, um, we need to be thinking past a ranking or, you know, even a visit on a website, you know? Absolutely. I couldn't agree with that more. Plus yeah. with like ranking, it seems like short form video and YouTube short seems to be the easiest way to land on the first page these days. Uh, yeah. Another one of, uh, you know, Google's big properties. So <laughs> yeah. uh, they love getting people into YouTube as well. Absolutely. Well, should we officially dive into our first topic? Sure. Let's do it. Let's do it. The value of SEO and enterprise SEO. I thought that was interesting. Um, but you know, Chris SEO, it, <clears throat> it can generate a lot of returns. We all know that the right SEO agency can grow organic traffic consistently every month um, and those around it. So can you please just start from the basics with SEO? Because yeah. we know you know a lot and explain to maybe someone who's listening who knows nothing about SEO, what search engine optimization is, but then also, you know, adding value and knowledge for some of those more seasoned practitioners out there who are focused on this at the agency level. Sure. Um, so you, you, uh, you gave the... the uh acronym SEO is search engine optimization. Um, ultimately, this is about strategies that we employ for a business um, specific with their website and the web uh, to increase visibility 
uh, on search engines uh, in the non-paid uh, portion of the search engine results pages, um, ultimately to try to gain visibility, to drive traffic, and ultimately to drive conversions. And for most businesses, that's around uh, either lead gen with B2B or, or uh, sales uh, with e-com or you know, like nonprofit, it might be donations or lead forms or, or, or something like that. Um, and it does, you know, traditionally SEO, if it's done right, uh, has one of the highest ROIs in all digital marketing channels. Um, you got to put a lot of work in to get those returns. There's a lot of ways to do it wrong. Um, and Google is the one who makes these rules and other search engines, right? Uh, so you don't have absolute control. Um, and with, you know, like Google, uh, they come out with these algorithm updates where the rules change and shift. We just had one, what, two, day, two days ago? Yesterday, they have another link spam update that they're rolling out that's, that's brand new, that's going to be targeting some new links. Um, but as a whole, you know, I think what I really like about it and why I gravitated towards it and both where I see the value is that you can build something in over time that grows the value larger and larger and larger over time, right? So as you build content, you know, as you have additional backlinks, um, you still have to maintain those things, but there's there's value that you're building over time. And it takes a while to get up to where you're getting a return on investment, but you can keep building and building and that return can continue to grow to where some of these returns that we see when we go to do case studies are like ridiculous. I have I have one that we were just doing and I had to go back to our analysts and say, hey, can you please go talk with the client and confirm the data that we're seeing in analytics that these goal values are accurate because for the case study like it was almost too much that i'm like i don't know if this is going to look realistic <laughs> like let's 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 confirm wow that, um, that's interesting and so talk talk to us about how you how you uh, measure roi for your clients um you know especially when you're talking about something that uh, you know, grows over time, like how do you determine, you know, what time frame that you're, you're looking at that measurement and how you measure it? Yeah. I mean, we don't, we typically aren't looking at anything in less than a month's time frame. Um, we put strategies together for a year at a time. Um, right. And, and certainly it's, it's pretty dynamic. So those strategies might shift, um, but we're looking at things month to month and we're always looking at year over year, like any given month, we'll look at what it looked like at the previous uh, previous month, um, the month from the previous year and look at that data. Uh, and certainly we look at, hey, when did we start um, and the previous period and certainly the full year over year data um, in terms of tracking ROI, you know, hey, when we've got e-commerce set up, uh, that makes it pretty easy. Right. In the case that I just mentioned, we had goal values that were associated with an e-commerce where there was specific goal values that aligned with particular products. So it should be pretty accurate. Right. When we get into like B2B lead gen, it gets a little bit more messy, right? Because now there's um, this whole uh, issue with like lead quality, right? Like, okay, so how many like good leads were there um, of those good leads? What's your internal close rate? So there's a little bit of onus on, on the on client side to go in and, and figure some of those things, but you should be able to go and, um, you know, really get some rough numbers and be conservative and, and figure out what that ROI, um, what that ROI looks like. Absolutely. It's Sorry, Jesse, I, I, I accidentally jumped us to another topic. I didn't I, know. I like it. I mean, you. we're deconstructing data. So measure talking about measurement is just inevitable. 
Um, and I and I put, brought in typically we bring in like a current event. Um, and so I was thinking Google Analytics for I know internally it's something I keep putting on the back burner, but like we have it and it's installed. I just need to set up those goals and figure out all the goals and go through the website and all that homework. Yep. Um, you know, but it is sort of a current event for this audience, you know, and a lot of people haven't even gotten it implemented. So like, um, you know, what would you say to people about Google Analytics for also, how are you using it? Are there any things that you guys are seeing with the new Google Analytics compared to the old Google Analytics um, or any yeah. suggestions there? Um, so the biggest thing for us was making sure that um, this past July or, or end of June, we had it set up tracking data for all of our clients, everyone that could, so that we have year over year, over year data when um, Universal Analytics gets discontinued uh, coming up in July. So that was the biggest thing. Um, it does seem a lot more streamlined. You know, I've used it myself, um, not a ton, honestly. We've got some people in-house who we have assigned to be our in-house GA4 experts that are working diligently to understand that uh, platform inside and out. Um, it, do, like, it does seem streamlined compared, you know, in terms of out of the box functionality, uh, it seems a lot more streamlined than universal analytics. Um, you know, like the default, what was the default uh, storage? It was like three months. Um, I can tell you one of the, um, you know, theories that we had internally is that Google, I don't know if you guys notice this or if you deal with a lot of analytics accounts, but we noticed that uh, coming up to when they rolled out GA4, we noticed a lot of bugs in analytics, a lot of like, like where it would take a long time to refresh the pages where it seemed like Google was actually having issues processing this data. So we think that a lot of this has to do with the fact that a lot of people just have massive amounts of data getting tracked. Google's having to, to pay for all that and process it. And they wanted to clean house. Um, and they wanted to come in and say, okay, well, you have to start over, right? You can't just continue it and you can't just do a set it and forget it. Um, and you look at that default setting, it stores three months of data. So you have to go in and change that setting to actually get it to store a year's worth of data. Otherwise, if you just set it up for all the people, they're like, oh yeah, just set it up, but I might not use it. Google's making sure that they're not on the hook for storing all of that data. <laughs> Um, wow. that's a good point. We, I guess we need to check that. <laughs> I didn't even know. Yeah. yeah. I guess I've always uh, just spoiled. That's a good Yeah. You don't want to turn around uh, in, in July and be like, oh, whoops, I don't have year over year data. And <sighs> now I've got to turn that on. Probably a lot of people are going to find that out later and not be happy. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good thing for us to note, um, when sharing this, uh, this podcast. Has it always that. been the default or was that a recent thing? I think so. Okay. I think that's a new GA4 um, thing because okay. it was like what we did, uh, we made sure that, hey, for all of our analysts, like, hey, this, we use uh, Tag Manager to set it up. We're like, okay, set it up, go in, do this, 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 and make sure you change this one setting because this is like the important setting. So other than that, it's like, hey, just like make sure that we're recording this data in the background. We do have clients that are on it now that, that they're only using GA4. So we are using it. Um, I haven't heard a lot from my team in terms of, of uh, issues. Um, Usually when there's new platforms and changes like this, I tend, you know, I don't know if it's because I'm procrastinating or a little bit strategically, I wait, you know, because if there are bugs, if there's problems, they usually yeah. figure that stuff out. So I'm definitely not the early adopter to jump in and start trying to do it right away. Definitely. We have both running right now. We just don't have GA4 totally set up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I guess 
on our website. You have both on yours too? Um, yeah, we have both on ours and most of our, most of our clients are still, we're using UA. Um, mm -hmm. just we're used to using it. I know my mm -hmm. metrics, I know my way inside and out. And then, yeah, I started setting up some customer reports and things for our actual like, uh, CSP website. Um, but, um, I don't, don't have a lot of time to be doing that. I really enjoy it. I still do, um, SEO on a few clients, but I'm really not supposed to as CEO because I'm supposed to be spending my time elsewhere. So, um, I do it when and where I can, uh, and enjoy it, but not as much time as I'd like. Definitely. Well, we're glad because then, you know, maybe you wouldn't be able to be here with us if you were working on those things, but right? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the truth. Um, to kind of like go back and forth between topics, like what would you say is the difference between just like regular SEO and enterprise SEO? Yeah, hundred percent. So there's two sides to enterprise SEO. Like one side of it is you're working with enterprise organizations, right? And that's one side of enterprise SEO. And we've done that. We have a fortune 100 we work with. We have another publicly traded company. Um, we've worked with other larger enterprise companies and for that type of enterprise SEO, like it's a lot of dealing with different departments. Um, different stakeholders that have different goals um, and finding how to get everyone aligned. Like it's almost like there's politics in there and relationship management, and it's very different than your traditional SEO, um, but you're dealing with business and product and IT, right? And you're trying to get everyone aligned. My, uh, my head of SEO always says the key to enterprise SEO is getting other people to do your job. Um, and ultimately what he means by that is, hey, if I can get product to be designing in an SEO friendly way. And I can get the content team to be creating things in an SEO friendly way and IT to follow this set of rules and, and show them how SEO will help benefit them. Right? So for like product, Hey, if, if you use SEO, we're going to get more eyeballs on what you did. You're going to get more credit IT. You're going to have less tickets that are getting submitted on the back end If we do this right at the beginning. Um, so that, that's one side of enterprise SEO. And then the other really category of enterprise SEO is just really large websites. So we've got another enterprise client that has, they're a multi-location that does business services, um, for low, they've got 4,400 locations across the U S. Um, and we manage that strategy for them, right? We, where there's content, there's, um, you know, we've got link building, we've got everything in there and the core team that we work with is like a handful, handful of people. So it's, it's a smaller company, but the scale of the website is massive. Um, so on, on both of those, the cool thing about enterprise SEO is typically these websites and these organizations have a lot of authority. So you can kind of, you can move mountains. If you can get initiatives live, it's harder to get things live and get things done. But if you can get things done, the impact that you can see is massive. Like our fortune 100, I don't know. What is it like something like like 27 million dollars worth of organic traffic a month that we help them manage like wow it's ridiculous how little they pay us versus the total but it's like the value that we're delivering is so huge and on the enterprise site that we that we manage um you know just the impact that we have from doing things at scale um can be really impactful uh, so that's exciting that the challenges are with the organization getting things done and keeping people from getting in their own way and making monumental mistakes that screw everything up. Just being honest, especially in large organizations, mm -hmm. right? You've got, websites. You know, sometimes it's C-suite shooting from the hip and saying, well, I think we should get rid of this whole section of the site. 
and we're like, okay, you'll lose 40% of your traffic. Please don't do that. Um, you know, or you've got, you know, IT saying, hey, well, what if we just do everything on five different subdomains and then we'll, we'll do this <laughs> redirect over here and a redirect over there. And you're like, uh, yeah, well, that'll, that'll definitely get you de-indexed and um, don't, please don't do that. Um, yeah. I sometimes worry about our taxonomy.bdex.com subdomain, but I'm grateful to have taxonomy.bdex.com. So I won't say anything. <laughs> uh, hey, there are right ways to do it. It's not like subdomains are bad. Um, right. Especially our crypto clients. Like they're, I love these guys, but they're the worst. Every time they come, they're like, they have a whole new idea and they're like, we're rebranding again. And now we're doing this and we're going to move this site and do all this. And it's kind of like herding cats. <laughs> Definitely. So two questions. How do you keep those huge websites so fast? Because now the speed of the website is so important. And I know that was something we were struggling with for a while at BDEX and, you know, just did some changes and upgraded the server and things like that. But um, yeah, um, look, you do what you can. Um, that's the truth. I mean, I'm sure you guys were looking at PageSpeed Insights. That's the tool to be looking at. You've got your um, you've got your lab data and you've got your field data. If, you're, if you have enough traffic to get field data and you can actually see what users are experiencing, it's usually a lot better than it looks with just the lab data that's just the tool output. Um, but ultimately, you look for low-hanging fruit. You make the changes that you can. Um, the whole core web vitals, this did not have the impact that Google said it would. Okay. Um, if you go look at what the actual impact was and you look at some tests that have been run, it's very minimal right? Look at the big platforms like Shopify. And, and uh, um, ultimately, when Google, I think Google very much wanted everyone to go in and get really serious about this change, these changes. And I think a lot of people did, right? Do you, I don't know if you remember, but they extended it multiple times. After they announced Core Web Vitals, they said, Oh, no, now we're going to implement it another three months later and later. So they're extending it to try to give people more time to make those changes. Not enough people made those changes across the web. So they're in a rock and a hard spot where they have to say, okay, we're actually going to make this a big ranking factor and tank all of these sites that are actually good and people need and use, or we're going to have to not really make it a ranking signal yet and maybe push it later. And that's ultimately what happens. So core web battles today should be on your radar for the future. Do what you can. But um, I see more SEO companies using it as a sales tactic than um, it's really not. You'd be better off focusing on content and links for the most part than getting down into the nitty gritty for those super high scores on Core Web Vitals. Good to know. What yeah, is David? Information. Should we yeah. jump into this topic? Absolutely. So yeah, so let's talk about it. Um, you know, I, I know you're concentrated heavily on the SEO side, but I'm sure you're a lot of your clients are talking to you about, hey, what else should we be doing? Like, how should we be marketing our website? And so talk to us a little bit about how you talk to your clients about what their digital marketing mix should look like. Yeah, I mean, that's it's like when we bring on new clients, um, you know, we're generally pretty, pretty choosy. Um, our goal has been to grow strategically as opposed to just grow as fast as we can any way we can. Right. So uh, one of the things that I'm looking at when we talk to clients is, you know, do, what is your what is your marketing mix look like? Right. We don't want SEO operating in a silo. You can't hinge it all on SEO. It's it's a bad strategy. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so paid search works really well with with SEO. Um, paid search is really good at targeting people late in the in the buyer's journey. Uh, you can target, you know, the entire buyer journey. But 
specifically when people have transactional intent, right? When they're, they're when they're comparison shopping at the end, there's opportunities there. Uh, paid search, you can turn it off, turn it on. Um, the other thing with paid search is you can use SEO and paid search together um, to optimize budgets for paid search. Uh, there's strategies that you can take from SEO and applied in the paid search world to to you know improve quality score and things like that. So those two channels play really well together. Um, we do still have um, you know third-party cookies, so you've got all the retargeting and everything that you can do. So that works really well with uh, with SEO. Um, you know, social is important, right? I mean, it's hard to see. I, sh I shouldn't make generalizations, but I think the, the ROI from social is, is a little bit harder to draw that straight line, um, depending on what you're doing. Like if you're in direct consumer, like there are definitely things like, um, I probably bought more on Instagram than, than I'd like to admit. So I do think <laughs> there's, there's places for that. Uh, but in general, social is where you're gonna build your brand, right? It's where you're gonna engage with your audience. It's where you're gonna learn things about your audience. Uh, at a bare minimum, you better have active social uh, to some degree, right? Ours is, is not great right now, <laughs> admittedly, but people have to see that, that, that you are a business and that you're active and, and that you have some legitimacy. Um, uh, PR, you know, PR, PR can be huge too, right? Uh, PR helps with, with SEO because you are uh, helping expand that footprint for a given brand. Um, certainly there, there are benefits on, on the backlink side, um, uh, but but Google likes businesses that have um, have been established, that have established brands, right? That are getting mentions out there and that people are talking about. So PR is helpful and uh, email marketing, right? Email marketing has, I think, from a lot of the stuff I read, has the highest ROI uh, in all in all the marketing channels, or or it can, right? It can be great for you know you can use it for outbound, but certainly for for lead nurturing um, and um, you know. Uh, keeping in contact with your current customers and, and building lists and everything to um, uh, also, um, you know, like I said, nurture leads and, and bring new new leads in. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Those are all really good points. And, and I think uh, to your point on the email side, I, I definitely think email has become a much better lead nurturing tool than lead generation tool. But uh, but it's a, a definitely an important piece of the puzzle. Yeah, it's it's hard on the on the uh, on the outbound side, right? Like we're uh, we're all kind of battling that that spam in our in our boxes. Um, I have surprisingly gotten good stuff that comes in. You know, I like I don't want to feed the beast. I'm like, but now I'm like, okay, I'll respond. But mm -hmm. I know I've I've never met you. I don't know who you are, and you're reaching out. Um, you know, but sometimes I find some good stuff. In it comes down to targeting your audience right, right? And then like having the right yeah. message to you because if they do actually make it into your inbox, which is step one, and then you do open the email, step two, does it resonate with them? Right. And like there is still a lot of evidence that outbound cold email is still bringing in a high return for a lot of businesses. So I think it's still worth exploring for many brands. Yeah, and to your point, Jesse, it's, it's the targeting that's super important, yeah. Got to have the right yeah. data. Well, we got we got one last week that was telling us that we got an award for like uh, social media services. And I'm like, we don't really do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Bad target. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, anything else on the importance of a digital marketing mix? Um, Multi-channel conversions. Oh, tell so us more. That would probably be a key one, right? So um, 
you can track this in Google Analytics, right? Multi-channel conversions, but um, it is, you've only got a limited number of conversions that are coming in purely from one channel, right? A lot of those conversions are happening across multiple channels. So someone who has done research on SEO, you know, they're top of funnel, they're researching a topic, they come in, they read a blog article, they get some information and then they leave, right? And then maybe now you're retargeting them or they get fire farther down the buyer's journey and now they see one of your ads in paid search or they see a display ad out on another site in a network, right? And this could be weeks later um, and now they're coming back in there. Um, so if you go into multi-channel conversions on Google Analytics, you'll see, okay, my leading um, conversion path is organic, direct, direct, paid or something like that that basically says most of my people that came in through multi-channels came in through organic first, they came um, back through paid once, and then they came back to the site directly two more times and then purchased. Um, so you get kind of these bonus conversions that you wouldn't have if you didn't have all those channels together. Uh, and it really, I think, um, proves that point of uh, how these uh, channels can you know, benefit each other. And so what about um, dark social? Have you heard of dark social in terms of like, we're attributing a lot to organic um, just based on attribution software, but a lot of times people hear about you in places like this, like a, a LinkedIn live or mm -hmm. a podcast um, or uh, through LinkedIn and one of your employees who has a personal brand on LinkedIn. Um, and so, you know, any thoughts there on any of that and how people can measure? Yeah. So, I mean, what you would, what we, what you would expect is that if they're then coming in through organic, that those would be branded searches, right? Or, or, you know, like basically navigational searches where people are putting in a name of a company to get a website to go straight there. Um, typically those are going to be your homepage, you know, there's going to be homepage visits. So one way that you can, you can segment that out. Um, and you have to look at this through different lenses because you're still going to get a lot of non-branded traffic through your homepage. So you can't just assume it's all branded. Um, however, what you can do is look at uh, landing page organic visits, right? That's one lens that you can look through to say, okay, how much traffic did I get to all my informational and transactional pages that don't um, receive branded traffic, right? You might have some branded solutions, right? Like Nike running shoes or something like that. So, you know, you have to look at that data too. But for the most part, most of your branded search uh, will lead to the homepage, uh, so by looking at the inner pages, you'll get a more pure view of um, that that non-branded search. Uh, you can get a lot of that query data. Um, there are tools actually that, that supposedly unlock it in Google Analytics, but a Google Search Console gives you a lot of that query data. Um, so you can actually see what's coming in from a query perspective. Nice. Anything else on this topic, David or Chris? Did David so. freeze? Looks like David is frozen. Oh no, he lost power. He just slapped me. <laughs> oh, um, well, while he is hopefully able to reconnect, um, our final topic, because we did sort of touch, touch on measuring SEO and mm -hmm. GA4, um, but just going out of order, we, we ask all of our guests about their favorite tools in their tech stack. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got a lot of popular ones that get mentioned a lot, like HubSpot and Google Analytics. But um, what would you say would be your top five tools that you and your team use on your team? Yeah. So um, Google Analytics is pretty much on every property. Uh, Google Search Console, right? That is um, a core tool that we use. 
Um, we do use SEMrush. I mean, that's really popular. Their, their keyword database is, is awesome. Um, I also really like their, um, their uh, toxic link uh, monitoring that you can do just because it shows you over time. We have other toxic, toxic link tools, um, but I like that. Um, you know, and they're great for keyword research as well. Um, we have uh, another more robust crawl tool. Um, the last two, I, I'm not going to mention by name just because not many people know about them. And um, it is kind of an advantage we have. But we have a, a pretty robust um, technical crawl tool that can crawl JavaScript um, and is really good at crawling websites and letting us look in and to identify errors and opportunities. And then we've got a really robust link building tool set that has like, I don't know, at least a dozen different tools. Uh, it's one that's, um, you know, not not native to the US, so it doesn't get a lot of attention and a lot of love here. Um, but the databases that they leverage are, are I think, the best that are out there. Um, and then we have some proprietary software too. We have proprietary software called Semantic Match SEO. Um, we have used it in the past on some pretty big projects. Um, it's still under development, so we don't use it all the time. And, um, we have it kind of back in, in development right now on, on, on the next iteration, but um, basically a tool that allows us to, you know, take the entire keyword universe for a client, um, plug that in along with um, some data that's generated, some third-party data that's generated by some really powerful AI systems, and then it processes all those keywords, and we get a, a semantic match or a relatability score between all of those keywords. So then we can align audiences to maximize and align audiences per page. So we're not creating competing content. We're not uh, mapping competing keywords on the same page. Um, uh, and ultimately, you know, the, the objective there is that allows us to be um, creating better content um, that's more aligned for the audience and targeting the largest audience possible per page. That's really great. And luckily, David was able to join us here. Maybe we could do this, speed. it'll be a little better. You're on your phone. Yeah. Yeah, it's the trials of uh, trying to live in Sanibel. Oh, sorry <laughs> to deal with that. But that's probably worth it. <laughs> yeah. Well, your phone has a nice camera, so it works just fine. And we just wrapped up tech stack. Um, and so we've got 10 more minutes. So I suppose we could get into maybe one or two of those questions that we had for the post topic questions. Okay. Um, so, Chris, what is the most important data for SEO? So we look at pre-click and post-click. Um, so our pre-click data is going to be impressions uh, at a Google Search Console, and then we look at rankings. Um, and then our post-click data is going to be clicks out of Google Search Console, and then we look at, at you know visits, uh, sessions out of Google Analytics. And then our post-click also that's really important is conversions. Um, and as much as we can get to revenue, revenue is the most important data. Uh, in my opinion, any marketing channel, and there's not a big focus on it with SEO because it's it's hard it's hard to tie back to, it's hard to reliably produce. Um, but if you have a focus on revenue and you can get there, um, the 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 value of SEO goes through the roof. Um, your relationship with clients uh, um, shoots through the roof too. Your opportunities do. Right? The C-suite doesn't want to hear about rankings. Right? Key stakeholders don't want to hear about how now we're ranking here, this or that, that might make you feel good, but they've got revenue goals that they're trying to deliver. So if we can tie that back to SEO and cement that as a revenue producing channel uh, with a specific return, now all of a sudden 
um, you know, now it starts getting fun, right? Because now budget starts growing. You start doing more and being able to do more. Um, and then the last piece of data that I think is really important is intent, intent data. Um, SEM rush uh, within, I think it was within the last year, added intent data so that when you look at keywords, um, they might be informational keywords that are very top of funnel. Uh, they might be um, commercial keywords where they're kind of middle of funnel. You know, people are doing their research, comparing different solutions, but still have an intent in spending money. And then we've got our transactional keywords, right? These are people that have done their research. Uh, they figured out their problem and they're ready to make a purchase, right? So that, that intent and how it aligns to the buyer's journey is really important data, um, I think, um, in SEO today and moving forward. That's all really interesting. Um, cool. <laughs> yeah, any, any other questions or comments there on measurement or data for SEO, David, you want to ask? Um, no, I mean, I think that we, we hit on the biggest topics as far as measurement and SEO. I think that, uh, you know, there's a lot of data to measure these days, right? And so, um, you know, I think it was really interesting when you were talking about the, uh, the channel mix, because I think that's a, a big thing when it comes to measurement. We've seen a lot of platforms basically take credit for conversions and, and um, you could have, you know, you, you're using, you know, multiple different channels, right? And each channel takes credit for the conversion. So then you sort of have this confusion about where did the conversion really come from? Um, so being able to actually measure the, that channel mix is, I think, really, really interesting. I think that's, a, that's something a lot of people are not doing. Um, and uh, that's, that's an important part of, of sort of the entire measurement of, of the process. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the truth is usually um, a lot of people should be getting credit, right? It's usually not any one given channel uh, unless you're only executing in one channel, um, in, in which case you're, um, you're in a bad spot. You should probably, <laughs> you should probably diversify. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to, to look at that. I've never thought of it that way, but you're absolutely right. Um, all right. Well, I think with that, um, if we don't have anything else, uh, we could probably wrap up deconstructing data for this week. Um, but for anyone in our audience who might prefer an audio format, we do also have this on podcasts or Apple podcasts. So stay tuned for that. Chris, we'll send your team all our different clips. We're on TikTok and Instagram um, and Twitter. But then, you know, after the show, we clip it up and we share it across multiple channels. So we hope everybody will go, you know, to bdex.com, find all our different social channels, follow those ones that you're on. And you can see more episodes like this, but we do clip it down and make it more digestible to like 30 seconds to one minute. We were talking about YouTube short earlier. These go on YouTube short too, uh, yeah. to help us on Google. But, um, you know, also if you find the Deconstructing Data podcast interesting, you might like viewing your first party customer data in Omni IQ, where you can get complimentary analytics on gender, household income, and birth year. So um, go again to bdex.com and you can click try for free. Um, there's no credit card required um, and we don't do anything with your data. So um, we just use it to share you the information and the data on your data. Um, but tune into Omni IQ workshop. We have that coming up December 19th. We would love to hear from listeners on, um, you know, your questions about Omni IQ and also just your thoughts about deconstructing data and how we can improve it. 
So you can reach us at info at vdex.com. Share your qualitative data with us, we always say. But um, other than that, I think that's a wrap on this podcast. Thank you so much, Chris. David, thanks for coming back on your phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, awesome. Thank you, Chris. This was great. I think uh, you had a lot of great information to share to, for our listeners. So thank you so much for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. Absolutely. All right. See you next time.